Revelation chapter 22, beginning in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore twelve fruits, each tree building its, yielding rather its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, and there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and the Lamb uh, and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. They shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. There shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place. Behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. And then he said to me, see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant and of your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book, worship God. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is at hand. He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. But outsider dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie. I, Jesus, sent, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and the morning star. And the spirit and the bride say, come. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. For I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Amen. Even so, come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we are very much aware of our weaknesses and our inability to properly assimilate and appropriate your word apart from your Holy Spirit. And we, Lord, we yield to him right now that he would teach us, that he would be our teacher. Father, And we want your word to have its full place in our lives in general, but specifically for this uh, set of verses, God. We thank you for this revelation. We thank you for revealing yourself, Jesus, to us. We thank you for warning us about what's going to happen in this world. And we thank you, Lord, for letting us see your uh, seeking and saving heart on display in this book as you continuously are reaching out to the lost throughout it. And so we commit this time to you. We ask, Father, that you would make application uh, 
with these verses to our hearts as only you can by your spirit. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. Well, we've been looking at the new heavens and the new earth. The old ones have passed away. Isaiah chapter 65, Isaiah chapter 66, Psalm 102. uh, Jesus speaking, saying, uh, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. Peter, in uh, his second epistle in chapter 3, talked about, talked, uh, wrote already, and we've read, we've learned that, that the elements will melt and everything will, he'll stop holding it all together by the word of his power. And it will just go away, just as he promised. We've seen that there will be no more mourning or crying nor pain, for the old order has passed away. Uh, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, you, we have Bibles on the table so you can follow along. You're not going to get a lot. I mean, we really follow, follow the word closely here. Um, so we've seen that, that him promise to take away all the, the, the evil and all the crying and pain. He's going to wipe away every tear. And we we're also told in chapter 21 that this new Jerusalem was being prepared and adorned for us. Prepared and adorned for us like a bride. And we, we talked about how brides prepare, and they, they don't prepare just to be, you know, um, satisfactory or um, just to fill a role or whatever. They prepare to, to blow away the groom and everybody else of their beauty and so forth and present themselves as prepared for uh, that groom and so forth. And so now we're the bride, and we're going to see him prepare this new Jerusalem as much as any bride and more so would prepare for their groom. Now, specifically last week, we saw the dimensions and the architectural design of New Jerusalem. We saw it descend from heaven, come out of heaven. We weren't told if it lands on earth, on the new earth, or if it just suspends there. People guess. Uh, we'll be happy with whatever decision God makes related to that, but we, it is, does descend from heaven. We saw that it's a cube, 1,500 miles wide, Uh, on each side on this cube 1500 miles is the distance from maine to florida it's the distance from california to colorado Um, and we also saw that these walls are going to be 216 feet thick that's almost a whole football field (laughs) thick and we saw that these uh, foundations there were 12 of those foundations of, of precious jewels and so forth the names of the 12 apostles are on those foundations these gates there's three gates on each side so there's 12 gates and and on above the gate is written one of the 12 tribes of israel again precious stones beauty color that we've never even imagined our eyes will be new where we can receive those that kind of light being refracted from those uh, stones and so forth. Uh, we are, Paul already had told us that he knew a man in Christ that was caught up to the third heaven and he heard, didn't say he saw anything, uh, he said he heard inexpressible words that wouldn't be lawful to, to try to describe. So we're going to have sounds, we're going to have a beautiful visual beyond anything we could ever imagine. We're going to have a street made of pure gold. We were told that there's no temple in it, that the Lord God is its temple. We were told that um, nothing wicked will ever defile it ever again. And, and so it just we got to see the beautiful construction and the physical side of all of that. But now God's going to let us peek inside and we're going to look at it this week. Um, I don't know if we'll can, you know, make it all the way through, like I said, but we'll give it a shot. So beautiful what's inside. 
in, what's inside has been just as prepared as what's been prepared related to the outward appearance and what it's been made of. And, and as I mentioned last week, someone's done the calculation. If there was 100 billion people that have lived and 20 billion of those were Christians, then with this square footage, with only using 25% of the square footage inside uh, the cube, we would, we would have 75 acres each. So space is not going to be a problem. The square footage is like, it's like the size of the moon. So it's pretty big, this, this new Jerusalem. But looking inside is very exciting as well. So let's do that. Let's begin in verse 1 where we're told this. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. So it's pure, a river, it's pure. I mean, we know that most rivers are not pure, clear as crystal, sometimes up in the mountains, uh, where you might have a stream that you can see through it perfectly or whatever. That wasn't as common in that day, in that part of the world especially, uh, to see that. And so this river of life proceeding from, notice, the throne of God and of the Lamb. So how does that work? I don't know. But I know that it proceeds from the throne. So somehow that river originates in the throne and, and are at the throne and comes out and, and goes through the city and so forth. We're told in verse 2, in the middle of its street and on, on either side of the river was the tree of life, which bore 12 fruits, each tree yielding its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So this this, there's going to, this tree, there's, there's a type of tree, you may know the name of it, I've, I heard it, but I, I forgot what it's called, but there's a type of tree that looks on the appearance on the outside where you see a bunch of trees, but underneath the ground, they're all connected with a network of uh, other parts of the tree that are, be, that are even greater in size than what you tri- typical, typically describe as a root. So they're connected, and they count that whole thing as one tree, and that could be what he's talking about here. Uh, because it, it appears that there's there's different types there's different trees, but it's all one tree with different fruits and so forth, and and it's it's on the, either side of the river and in the midst at the same time. So there may be a river that kind of forks a little bit at one point, and there's the part of the tree of life that's in the center, and then on on either side, it, you know, it kind of looks like that, but of course we don't know. And then we were told that it bore twelve fruits, so. I don't think it's talking about uh, 12 different fruits per tree that, that, that bear a different one every month, but probably 12 different trees that each bore one fruit that uh, uh, kind of blossom or whatever or come forth uh, you know, different, on a different month. So one month you'd have one type of fruit. The next month you're looking forward to this other part of the tree that has this fruit and so forth. And it's, it's amazing. It's amazing to just think there's going to be eating there. You know, every time that I see uh, food, I mean, that's just where I'm coming from. That's my weakness. I'm, I'm encouraged. You know, Jesus ate in his resurrected body, in his glorified body. He ate with them. You know, we talked about the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. So there's going to be food there. And so he says that this tree, each month, it bears a different kind of fruit. And notice it says at the end of verse 2, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And that begs the question, what do nations need to be healed of in heaven? Because I don't believe it's residual anything from the previous existence, and somehow you are need to be healed of something that's left over from the old heaven and, and the old uh, earth, so to speak. 
and, and I don't know the specifically what, I know that the Greek word has to do with therapy. So it's therapeutic. It's not necessarily that you're sick, so to speak, but it, it, it's a way that we get nourishment. It's a way that we get therapy in, the, in that sense. Now, if you go back to the tree of life, because the tree of life, as we know, uh, was in the Garden of Eden. I personally believe this is a different tree of life. Um, it's described differently. But you remember after Adam and Eve sinned, that they were banished from the Garden of Eden, and God put an angel uh, at the entrance with this sword or this flaming sword or whatever to keep them from coming into the garden and eating from the tree of life. He didn't want them to be perpetually in this condition so, and so forth. And so he's made it so that there's something about how we're made up in terms of our new bodies and so forth where that he, it, he, we're perfect in the sense of all that he wants us to be in that state but we're still going to not have everything that, that we could ever have in those bodies. In other words, there's going to be something that needs to be added to us to fulfill this purpose for us in heaven. We see one example of that. Uh, I believe it's in Ephesians where he talks about that we'll be learning of the riches of his grace. I think it's chapter 2, verse 7, that we'll be learning from the riches of his grace for all eternity. Well, that shows us that we didn't have all knowledge at that point, even though we will know as we are fully known, as we as First Corinthians 13 tells us, but we will be learning. We're not going to be there and not have to learn anything. We're going to be learning from the riches of his grace. So that's just one other example where we are receiving something that benefits us. And so somehow, and, and nations, you know, can mean ethnic groups or different types of diversities within people and so forth. It doesn't have to mean nation states as we kind of think of when we think of nations. So I love the fact that this tells us there's great diversity in heaven, which I love because the body of Christ is diverse. We're told elsewhere that, and we've already seen it, that there's, a, there's people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and so forth. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, just singing to the Lord and having all that diversity. And that's why it's important that we trust the Spirit in who He adds to the church. And when we do that, then there's always going to be diversity. When we're, not, when we're adding to the church and we're making that happen and we're controlling who comes and who doesn't, usually, all of a sudden, there just seems to be only people there that look like the leadership. <laughs> you know, it's, that's not good. We, because the body of Christ is diverse because God saves and wants to save everybody so somehow there's this therapy that occurs from these leaves so it's not just the fruit and that's great because I mean, we always think of the only good thing about a tree is fruit but even the leaves have value in the new jerusalem of this tree of life verse three and there shall be no more curse but the throne of god and of the lamb shall be in it and his servants shall serve him so when adam and eve fell god cursed the land he cursed the creation in that sense and and that changed everything and that affects mankind and it has affected mankind all through mankind's history so he's saying that will be reversed there won't be any more curse anymore there'll be work i mean there was work in the garden of eden before the fall there's something in man kind that needs to be busy and needs to be productive god's a productive god so his sons and daughters are called to be productive. So it doesn't mean that we will have the same type of work that we have now, the kind of labor that we do now, 
because that's part of the curse. That was part of Adam's curse, the curse that he had to, you know, that he was involved with and so forth. And so they won't be that in that sense, but we still will be busy about his business. Notice at the end of verse three, that his servant shall serve him. Very important. Well, when I get to heaven, what are we going to be doing? Playing a harp and sitting on a cloud? No, that's something else. That's a, that's a banjo. <laughs> they weren't playing that on a harp. Um, so, but what are we going to do up there? You know, what, what, what is it going to entail? We're going to be worshiping God. We're going to be ruling and reigning. We've already seen that. But also we see here that we're going to be serving him. So just like when someone has a problem with us needing therapy from these leaves, well, what about God? He's having people serve him. He's lacking in that sense, even though he's every, you know, he's omnipotent and all those things. He doesn't need us to serve him. He's very, pretty self-sufficient, but he wants us to serve him. See, that's the thing about worship, and I'm glad we talked about it earlier, is that when we worship him and everything that we do for him is worship, everything in life that we do for him is, is, is an expression of worship. That's why the faithfulness that we express in that service to the Lord is so much of a higher calling than things that we get paid for in the world. And unfortunately, it's lower on people's lists of importance. They will put more energy and more focus and they will put more attention to things that are temporary. We need to be faithful. We need to be good stewards. We need to be good witnesses at work. I'm not saying any of that. But it's eternal things that, that are going to outlast this life. And so we need to uh, be faithful with those things. And, and so he calls us to serve him now. Well, I'll wait till I get to heaven. And then I'll serve him. No. Why would you wait to serve him? Why would you wait for another way to show your love for him? Because that's all, it's not a duty. If you think that it's a duty, you're missing the whole thing. It's not a have to, it's a get to. I learned that as a new Christian. It's not a have to, it's a get to. We get to do things for him. He lets us be a part. Just like with a little child, and you're letting them help you do work on a project, they're not the most qualified people in the neighborhood. You know? <laughs> They're not the most gifted. They're not, you know, but you want them to be a part of what you're doing. You want them next to you. You want to have that interaction, that sharing and imparting to them and and seeing them grow and all those things. Well, where do we think that we get that? We get that from God. God's the one that puts that in us. So he wants us to be a part of what he's doing. And if there's any way, you ever had someone do something for you that just blows your mind? I mean, just absolutely just crazy service to you just way outside the norm or whatever and you are just trying to find ways to pay them back or to do something for them not out of duty not of obligation but out of just love you just want to bless them and you just are trying to find ways to do something for them how much more the cross how much more how he's changed your life and my life how much more should we serve him and follow him now? And it's going to continue. And that new body and that new perspective and the learning the riches of his grace and all those things and being known as we are fully known, all those things are going to enable us to serve him better because we won't have this stinking sinful nature that gets in the way. We won't have spiritual warfare. We won't have Satan. We won't have any of those things. We'll be completely freed up to serve him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And so we need to be servants. If we're not serving, we're not like Jesus, how he wants us to be like him, because he's a servant. And he modeled that for us many different ways, but specifically in John chapter 13, where he washed the disciples' feet. The lowest position in the house 
would do that. The lowest servant would wash feet. The first thing that would happen when you came in is the servant would wash the guest's feet. And here he did do that, and they were shocked. They could not believe. Peter's like, no, 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 you're not touching my feet. He's like, well, if I don't do this for you, you have no part with me. And, and, and it was shocking. Well, take, give me a whole bath. You know, Peter, you know, one extreme to the other, and I can appreciate that. But, he, you know, it was just this thing where he just, he has to serve, and he loves to serve. It's not a duty for him. For the Lord Jesus, it's not a have to for us. It's a get to. He gets to serve us. He gets to model that for us all the time. Beautiful. Verse 4. They shall see his face. And his name shall be on their foreheads. Wow. We can't look at his face right now. The glory of God emanated from Moses' face. And, you know, he kind of saw his his radiance or whatever. Did not look him right in the face. And Jesus was was, um, cloaked. His glory was cloaked. He let a little bit of that out on the Mount of Transfiguration when he just transformed, transfigured before them. But just think of being and be able to see his face. Don't you want to see his face right now? I want to look into those eyes that saw me before I came to know him and loved me and went after me. I want to see those eyes that have watched me struggle in every part of ministry all these years and see those eyes that had compassion on me to give me my family and my children, to give me my friends. I want to see those those, those, I want to see the smile. I want to see the smile that happens when I step out in faith like Dave said and put my leg out on the other side of the, the boat and, and step out and obey him what he's calling me to do. That smile that he must express. Just like we smile at our kids. You watch them sleep and you just, you just smile. You just, I can't believe I get to have this child. Such a greater love. He, com- he compared our love against his love. Say, you being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? He said, you being evil, you're evil <laughs> compared to, to me. And look how you love your kids. And so how much more does he want to bless us? So we will look in that beautiful, beautiful face. And you know that face will not be disappointed. That face will not be, oh, out of duty, I need to look at this person, you know. He doesn't even look at you like that now. He looks at us with with pure love and pure um, grace. And then he says, and his name shall be on their foreheads. You're like, well, I don't want a name on my forehead, you know. What's that going to look like? I mean, what's it going to, you know, we'll be fine with it. Well, we have to think about the, what that means. What's the significance of him writing his name on our foreheads? It's ownership. When you own something and it's yours and you're claiming it, he, you write your name on it so that no one misunderstands whose it is. It's a claim of ownership. He owns us. We've been bought with a price, we're told. He owns us. He wants everyone else that sees us to know that we belong to him. And it's a beautiful expression of his love. Now he says in verse 5, there shall be no night there. They need no lamp nor light of the sun, for the Lord God gives them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. So if you're a night owl, sorry, you know, you're not going to be doing the night shift. It's not going to be any graveyard shifts if our ruling and reigning where it's at night and it's dark. We're going to have light all the time, but it's going to emanate from him because of his glory. 
Uh, we won't need lights. We won't need any of these things that pray, make darkness light because everything will be light because he is light. And that glory will shine forth and so forth. And it says at the end of verse 5, and they shall reign forever and ever. So part of our service to the Lord will be reigning. What does that entail? I don't know. Over whom will we reign? I don't know. But I know we're going to reign. Maybe he's going to create a whole new creation of beings or something that we're going to rule. And I, don't, I have no idea. I just know it's going to be good. And I know it's going to be a privilege. The problem with our understanding, though, sometimes is that he's called us to be reigning over what he has us in the middle of right now. And I don't mean in a, in, a, in a governmental way, but I mean in the sense of when we walk into a room, we are bringing the kingdom of God with us into that room. We are the ones that are changing the dynamic in that room because we're bringing him with us. And we have supernatural words to tell people. He's told us that we have the keys to the kingdom. And he's called us to influence uh, this world for good. And in that sense, we're walking in being more than a conqueror. We're walking in being um, someone that's reigning right now. That we are influencing situations. And, and so that's what he calls each of us to. But this is more of a governmental sense as well. Added to that type of, of, of reigning beautiful verse six then he said to me these words are faithful and true and the lord god of the holy prophet sent his angel to show his servants the things which must shortly take place so here we have remember in chapter one we saw that that jesus sent his angel to signify his vision or this revelation to john it changed hands many times so it went to the Father, to the Son, to his angel, to John, and then it went to the angels over each of the seven churches, the pastors that oversee each uh, church and so forth, to the people. There was this chain of custody that went all the way down, and so he's reiterating that and said these words are faithful and true. It means that they're, they're trustworthy, that they're, they were accurate and they are trustworthy. We can trust. It's almost like God's anticipating us going, information overload you know i mean it just seems too good to be true i just can't imagine that that we will actually be in in this new jerusalem and have this kind of life you know with all these foundations and all these walls and gates and angels by each gate and so forth and this river of life and the sea uh, you know this this glassy sea before the throne and this this road made out of of pure gold and so forth this tree of life that bears these different fruits every month and the the leaves are for our therapy and so forth it's hard to believe that. I just Is this really going to happen? He knows that we re- need that reassurement. And, and he says, these words are faithful and true. We can trust that. And so I've, I have sent my angel to communicate this. You can trust it. You can, quote unquote, take it to the bank. Verse 7. Behold, I am coming quickly. Is that in red in your Bible? Yeah, behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Now, in the beginning, we saw there was a blessing associated with, it was a beatitude in the beginning in chapter 1, those that read and hear and keep. And the whole idea, as I went over there, 
is that the idea is public reading, you know, what, we, what we've been doing. To read it, to hear it, and to keep it. And, and, and the word keep means to value and to, it's like a military term for a garrison or to protect, to guard. It's military language throughout this whole little passage here in these verses. And it's talking about guarding and obeying and keeping and so forth. So he says, keep, he says, blessed are, is he who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And you're like, well, how can I keep the future? How can, it's, it's, it's describing what's going to happen in the future. How can I keep that? How can I obey that? He's given us way more things than just letting us know about what's going to happen. All the letters to the seven churches. I mean, we've gone through these lessons all the way through the book. Everything that he's taught us, we need to hold on to, and we need to keep, and we need to value. And there's a blessing associated with that. Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Basically, John's just losing his mind right now. He's just so blown away by this angel and this message. He just, I mean, remember, he's in his 90s now. He's an old seasoned, not just saint, he's an old seasoned disciple of Jesus Christ. He's an apostle. He has one of his names written on those foundations that we read about. And here he is wanting to worship a created being. Remember, now let's even go further. He's a Jew. He knows the Ten Commandments. He knows no other gods before me. He knows what God says about worshiping an idol, which is a created thing. He knows that angels are created. He's worshiping an angel. He's going absolutely crazy momentarily moment you know insanity temporary insanity i don't know how you'd word it but he's worshiping this angel he's just caught up in the whole entire thing it must have been amazing but then there's this very appropriate response to verse nine then he that is the angel said to me see that you do not do that <laughs> that's a nice way to say that see that you don't do that uh you're worshiping me I'm the creation, <laughs> you're the creation, we're only supposed to worship the creator. So see that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant. Angels consider themselves servants, because they're ministering spirits, we're told. So everybody's a servant in heaven. We're servants, we're serving Jesus, the angels are servants, Jesus is a servant, everybody's a servant. It's really, I just, it just hits me so hard. Read Gail Irwin's book, Jesus Style, that we have in our equipping library. You learn all about Jesus being a servant. And your brethren, the prophets, and of those who keep the words of this book. So as we keep the words, then we have more in common with this angel because he is a fellow servant and um, of your brethren, the prophets, and he's a brother of those who keep the words of this book. And then he says the most important two words in the verse Worship God. Don't worship an angel. Worship God. Satan wanted to be worshipped. He was an angel that wanted worship. That's why he was cast out of heaven, because he had pride and wanted to be exalted and lifted up, and he was cast down to earth. And when he, had, when he was tempting Jesus, he said, bow down and worship me. He wants that worship, but created beings are not to be worshipped. And then verse 10, notice this. And he said to me, do not seal the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. 
Now with Daniel, Daniel was told at one point to seal up the words, to seal up the prophecy. It wasn't for that time because that revelation would have been detrimental to God's overall plan. And so he said, seal it up. But here he says the opposite. And John knew all about what God told uh, Daniel. He says, I want you to not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book for the time is at hand. What's interesting is that how many churches will actually teach the entire book of Revelation? What are they doing? They're sealing up the book. They're going against God's heart. I want this revealed. There is a purpose to it. There is a blessing associated with it. I've made it clear. I've made it easy to understand. If you know how to study it, if you look at the Old Testament for the puzzle pieces that fill in the, the, the outline or the borders uh, of the book of Revelation, so it's not something that's cryptic or hidden or God wants us guessing and you can never know. None of that. He wants it unsealed. He wants the whole world to know the revelation. Don't ever be ashamed of the book of Revelation. Be bold in proclaiming its validity and, its, and how God inspired it. He doesn't want it to be sealed. He wants the words to be released and to be spread. Then he says in verse 11, He who is unjust, let him be unjust still. He who is filthy, let him be filthy still. He who is righteous, let him be righteous still. He who is holy, let him be holy still. It's like, well, does God not want people to change? I don't understand this. And, you know, people guess as to what he's talking about here. I don't know 100% for sure, but it very well could be that he's talking about this revelation. He's talking about the prophecy of this book and keeping the words of this book and not sealing the words of this prophecy. So he wants it out there. And he knows that, that it's sufficient. Remember when, when uh, in, in Luke chapter, I believe it's, it's either 15 or 16, where you have um, the rich man and Lazarus, and, and he's, the rich man's wanting to warn his family and so forth, and God basically says that, you know, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they're not going to believe someone that comes back from the dead. God's revelation is enough. And I believe he's saying if they don't, if they don't change based on the warnings that are in this book, then there's nothing that can be done. And, and, and it also tells us, and this is just a general principle, that we, we personally can't change anybody. Only God can change the heart. Only God's Spirit can open people's eyes. We have to be faithful to communicate the message, but we can't talk anyone into the kingdom. That's a general principle. But I think he's saying that at this point, people are going to be what they are after they read the prophecy of this book and that they don't heed the warnings. And so he's going to honor their free will. So that's my best stab at it. Uh, but the, again, some of this stuff is written for us to wonder about and look forward to and anticipate heaven, be able to ask him about. Um, this might be one of those things. Verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. Now, this is important because God wants to reward us. He says, behold, which means carefully consider. I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me. And the word quickly, it means it, it's imminent. And it also speaks to the fact that it'll happen suddenly, that when it happens, events will happen fast. But he's always been, uh, he's always had the church be watching and waiting in anticipation. It's healthy for us. But I can tell you one thing, we're 2,000 years, almost 2,000 years closer than we were at this point. So it's 2,000 years more quickly in terms of its coming, and we need to be ready for that. And he says, I will reward, uh, give to everyone according to his 
work. He doesn't notice, he doesn't say, I will pay to everyone according to his work. He said, I will give. So it's still grace. He's still going to bless us for what we do for him. But it blesses him that we are obedient. He saved us unto good works. Verse 13, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Blessed are those who do his commandments, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter through the gates into the city. He's not saying you can, by obeying his commandments, you can earn the place there and earn heaven and earn all that. He's saying if you obey his commandments, you, rep, you, you uh, demonstrate to yourself and to others that are from without that you are truly a believer. Because if you're saved, you will uh, obey him. And if you have no regard for obeying him whatsoever, you're not guilty, you're not convicted when you, when you do wrong and so forth, then you're not saved. It's impossible for you to have the spirit inside of you and when you sin um, to just continue on and, and, and repeatedly ongoing and, and not uh, have any sense of conviction and, and, and needing to change. So he says that's, that's, going, to, uh, that's going to happen. We need to keep, our, keep his commandments and so forth. And we're blessed if we do it. Oh, I don't want to obey. It's a burden. And he's like, no, Jesus said my commandments aren't burdensome. My commandments aren't burdensome. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Just trust me and let me do the work through your life. Yes, it's hard work physically. But everything, you know, all that he gives us is sufficient to help us be faithful in those things. Beautiful. Okay, let's see here. I am the Alpha, verse 13, and the Omega, the beginning uh, and the end, the first and the last. Okay, I already read that, 14, 15. But outside are dogs. A little fee-fee. No, it's not those type of dogs. <laughs> it's always, dog lovers are going to be getting me here. Um, that was always, there were scavengers. They were unhealthy. They were, you know, the, they were, that was, a, even Gentiles were called dogs. Um, there are many different types of people that were called dogs, um, talking about those that are, uh, wicked and so forth and sorcerers those that engage in sorcery um, it's the word pharmakia there where we get our word pharmaceutical it's where they would engage in that kind of thing with mind-altering drugs uh, so uh, that's what that's what he's getting at there and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and whoever loves and practices a lie it's really man we just overlook that in our culture this lies eh, white lies um, you know, it's no big deal. If it doesn't hurt anybody, it's okay. God's 100% truthful, 100% honest, and his people should be 100% honest as well. Verse 16, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. So he wants us to hear them in the churches. That's God's uh, will for us. I am the root and the offspring of David. In other words, I'm his origin. He came from me. But I also came from him in the sense of his lineage, his earthly lineage there. So he was the originator of David as God, but he was also the offspring of, of David um, as one of his descendants. The bright and morning star. That's the star that you see right before uh, the sun comes up. So he's describing spiritually this world as dark, and we see Jesus. He's shining, and he's shining the brightest right before the day. And he's saying, I'm coming quickly. This is going to happen. So right before the sun rises in the sense of his new plan on this earth related to all these things he's going to bring about, he's the one that we are to be looking to uh, to build to see when that's going to happen. Verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, 
come. That means Maranatha. That's Maranatha there. Spirit and the bride say, come. Come, Lord Jesus. And let him who hears say, come. And let him who thirsts, come. Whoever desires. It doesn't say the elect. It says, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. He's giving the invitation to everybody. Again, we've seen God try to reach the lost all through this book. He's still doing it all the way to the very end. He's, being, uh, inv- he's inv- inviting people that don't know him, saying, come freely. There's no cost to it. You don't have to earn it. And, and, and whoever desires, of course, that happens with the cooperation with the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, no one can come to God. So he, God, if a person is cooperating with the Spirit's wooing or drawing to the Father, then, then he will have that desire and, and, and God will offer that and give that life freely without charge. Verse 18. And I testify to everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. So that's a warning, a serious warning, because he knows that preachers would cave because of the harsh things, specifically the lake of fire. You can't weasel out of that. You can't take, you can't, <laughs> under whatever your expectation is that people will react to that, you can't remove that. That's taking away from God's word. That, that's what the Sadducees did. Everything he says not to do is modeled by the Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Pharisees added to God's word by extra things and extra rules and all these things that these burdens that, they laid on people. <laughs> but Sadducees were the liberals of their day. And I'm not talking about politically. I'm talking about theologically. They took away from God's word. They didn't believe in the supernatural. They didn't believe in all these things. So when we preach this book, we have to go through the whole entire thing and not add to it. That's why you hear teachers that are responsible that teach this book. They say, apparently, it appears, this could be. I've said all those things because there's many things that we don't know for sure. And I have no problem not knowing something for sure when it comes to the Bible because there's a stricter judgment coming my way as a teacher. So he says, don't take away from it. Don't add to it. It's interesting that Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon uh, cult, uh, that he did his own translation of the book of Revelation itself. He did his own translation, no language uh, education or whatever, just, just was doing bored one day, I guess. I don't know. But he wrote it and he just drastically changed it. So, I mean, he just, wow, it's, what a warning there. Um, and he says in verse 18, or no, let me move on. And if anyone takes away from the words of the prophecy of this book, God shall take away his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written in this book. So this holy city is holy, it's set apart, that's what holy means. And Whoever takes away or adds are going to receive God's judgment. If they add to it, they're going to receive the plagues. If they take away from it, they're going to uh, you know, have, have their names taken out of the book of life. Or, or Actually, I shouldn't say that. They'll, their names won't appear in the Lamb's book of life. And they won't have any part in the holy city. Verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming quickly. Now, he, he adds surely here. Now, if your name's Shirley, he's not speaking to you like that. Um, it's different. But he's, he's saying, now, I've been saying I'm coming quickly. I've been saying it. I've been saying it. I've been saying it. Now I'm really 
emphasizing, surely you can count on it, you can believe it. It's, I am coming quickly, I am coming suddenly. And then John says, amen. I mean, so be it, that's the truth. Amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. And he's, even so is, I know you're saying, surely you're coming, but even though you say that, I, I'm going to say it again. Come, Lord Jesus. Maranatha, you need, please come. Come, come, come right away. And, and we're torn because we want people to be saved, but at the same time, we want to be with him. Then notice the last verse of the New Testament, the last verse of the Bible, last verse of Revelation. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And that's, that's exactly what we need to hear, God's grace. And, and, and he's been extending his grace to these people all through the book of Revelation, giving them chance after chance to repent, warning them ahead of time, throwing out the nets that they would receive him and so forth, and they're not. They're not receiving that. They reject it and, and so forth. We need the grace of God. And he adds another amen. That's the truth. What an amazing book. I've learned so much. You don't learn a book until you teach it. That's for sure. And I'm only one week ahead of you guys. <laughs> so it's not like I'm an expert in it. You know, first time I've ever taught this book. First time I've been teaching on any of these books. Uh, but, you know, God's been gracious to show us exactly his heart. He's exactly what he wants us to know. Remember, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. It's a revelation of him. It's not just merely about the end times and all that and God's judgment of this world. It's a revelation of a person, of him. And it reveals his heart. It reveals his priorities. It reveals what's important to him and that he's coming. And, and I don't know if you know this, but there's more prophecies related to his second coming revealed in Scripture than his first coming. And when we started, we looked at all the Bible interpretation principles we need to understand to be able to rightly divide this word, rightly divide this book of prophecy. And because of that, we followed those principles and it, drew, it, it brought us to the accurate interpretation of this book. So what we did is, we, how did he fulfill his first coming prophecies? He's going to do it the same way for a second coming. He interpreted those or fulfilled those literally. So he's going, to he's going to fulfill these scriptures literally. When you spiritualize everything and you allegorize everything, you can make it say whatever you want. And God has not given us that, that right or privilege or whatever, how we want to say it. So very excited. I still don't know where we're going next. I'm still praying about that. Uh, so keep me in prayer related to that. I know when I'm supposed to know, I'll know. But um, we'll see. It could be the Gospels. We'll see. Um, we may do something in between. We'll, we'll just see how, how he leads. But very thankful to go through and receive the blessing of hearing, having, hearing it read, understanding it. And now it's our job to keep it, to value it, to treasure it, to obey it. Amen? Let's pray together. Thank you so much for your word, Lord. Thank you that we have the privilege of going through it together as a family, verse by verse, and letting you build into us all the things you want to build into us, Lord. Thank you. Would you use all of the things that we have learned for your purposes, God? Help us to glorify you more as a result of what we've learned, Lord. Help us to, to think about the things that we can keep and the things that we can obey we don't want to be like the man who built his house on the sand, who heard your words and didn't obey what you said. And when the storms came, his house did not stand. We want to be like the man who built his house upon a rock. So when the storms come, Father, our house stands. So help us to not be self-deceived about 
gauging our spiritual growth and our spiritual maturity by what we know versus what we're obeying. Help us to be very clear and not deceived and have clarity regarding our spiritual condition each day. And give us the grace, Lord. Remind us by your Spirit to exhort one another daily, especially as we see the day approaching, Lord. That's your plan for us. Help us, God, to do it. Help us to be willing to exhort and help us to be able to receive exhortation so that we can further be made like Christ. And we commit it to you in Jesus' name. Amen.